Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. You're here. I'm here. The presence of God is here. Today's going to be great. Amen. So I'm, I'm excited. Excited. Last week, if you were here, we started a brand new series that we're calling Help Wanted and using the last couple of verses of Matthew chapter 9 sort of as a launching point for this series. It's the story where Jesus is traveling around and he sees all the crowds of people and he sees how bewildered and distracted and harassed and the terrible situations that they're facing and how just lost they seem in life. And he says it's like they're they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples and says the harvest is so plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he says... What I want you guys to do, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And so that's where we're getting this idea of of help wanted. That's what Jesus expressed. There is a desire, a need for help people that are willing to go after the lost, to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. And so last week, what we kind of focused on was that this is the number one priority of God. And we said that a lot of the things that we talk about, all of the things that we talk about are important. We take all of our series seriously. We take Sunday morning seriously. We want everything to come from the word of God. But this series is unique because what we're talking about with this series is is the number one priority of heaven. That God cares about every detail of your life. He cares about all kinds of things. But what he cares about most is that people make it to heaven, that people will spend an eternity with him. We talked about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting or eternal life. That he sent Jesus not so that we could have great relationships and enjoy prosperity and and other things like that. Even though he provides those, those are are, are good. We want those and he, he lets us have them. He wants us to have them. But ultimately, the reason that God sent Jesus to come on earth and ultimately die on the cross was because he cares where you and I spend eternity. And there's only one of two options where we're going to end up, either in, in hell forever or with him forever in paradise, in, in his presence. And that's where God wants you. It's the number one priority uh, of heaven. We talked about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 that says, God's not being slow or not slack in keeping his promise, talking about the promise that Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. He said he's going to return. The Bible says Jesus is coming back. People stir up doubt and confusion about that. And that passage says he's not being slow in keeping his promise. He's not a procrastinator. He's not busy and distracted with other things and hasn't gotten around to it yet. It says he's being patient not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. So the reason we have the time that we do, again, ultimately, is for one reason. So there's time for people to get saved. In that passage, it also lets us know that God is desirous that who would come to repentance? All. He wants wants everyone. So that jerk that works 
that works with you, that crazy lady in your neighborhood, that person in your family that nobody can stand, God loves them. He, want, he doesn't want anyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all, every person around us. He wants them to come into a relationship with, with, with himself. The number one priority of God, what matters most to him, is where people spend eternity. He wants people to get saved. So our church takes it seriously. We put an emphasis on people getting saved, not because that's our idea or it's just our church program or anything. We care about people getting saved because God cares about people getting saved. It's our number one priority because it's God's number one priority. So we have a mission as a church to connect people with the newness of life that's found only in Jesus Christ. There's only one place that people can be made new, only one way for us to step into newness of life, and it's through Jesus Christ. We have a vision that goes along with that. We want to see this church grow to become 1,000 strong. That's just like a a point on the horizon. It's a goal for us to focus on and, and work towards. But the reason we want to see our church grow, it's not just for church growth. It's about kingdom growth. We want to see more people come to our church because we want to see more people come to Jesus. We want to see more people not go to hell. We want the kingdom of God to grow. Let me read you from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 28. It says, in a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall, some translations say shame, is the downfall or the shame of a prince. It's a shame for a prince to have no people, but it brings a king honor. It brings a king glory when there is a lot of people. The more people, the more he's glorified and honored. We want to see King Jesus glorified. We want to see him honored, and it's in the multitude of people. God wants the church full. God wants more people to come to know him. So if we align our hearts with his, we want to see the church grow. So we're not against small churches. We're against stagnant churches. We want to see churches moving and advancing and working to see more people to bring in, to bring in the harvest. So God's number one priority is to see people get saved. That's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to take a little time to talk about how if we are followers of Jesus, if we are believers, then it should be our number one priority as well. There's nothing that causes heaven to celebrate, according to Scripture, like when one person gets saved. In Luke chapter 15, it says, when a person who's lost becomes found, that there's great joy in heaven. There's celebration, which it's interesting. It doesn't say of all the things that Jesus did, of the amazing things that he, he miracles he performed while he was on earth. It doesn't say that all of heaven celebrated when a dead person was raised again. It doesn't say that heaven celebrates when a a blind eye comes open or a deaf ear comes open or when a lame person walks again. Those are wonderful. We believe in that. We see those kinds of things happen. It's what Jesus performed. That's wonderful. But there's something special in the heart of God when someone who's lost becomes found. So as a church, more than celebrating an amazing miracle, we will celebrate those things. We do celebrate that. But even more so, when somebody who doesn't know Jesus comes into a relationship with him, there's something special and precious about that in the heart of God. All of heaven celebrates. Do you know when you gave your heart to Jesus, 
Heaven celebrated. God celebrated you coming into relate. He was excited. His heart was filled with joy when you gave your heart to Jesus. He was excited that he gets to spend eternity with you, that he'll never have to be separated from you and you'll never have to be separated from him. It mattered to God. When people get saved in our church, when people get saved today, heaven celebrates. There's rejoicing in heaven. Amen. Hey, and you've got to believe that God is the leader in heaven, right? He's the one that sets the tone. So when the angels are celebrating, it's not like God is like, okay, can we just move on, sitting on, on his throne? That he's leading the celebration. I don't know if he's getting off his throne and dancing. I don't know if there's confetti, those little poppers. I don't know how they celebrate up there. But God is leading the celebration in heaven when people get saved. So we've got to work to align our hearts. If it matters to God that much, that heaven throws apart. Every person is precious. They've got to be valuable to us. Us. We've got to, it's the number one priority of heaven, so it should be the number one priority of believers. Amen? Let's pray one more time. Father, we love you. I thank you for every person that's here today. I thank you for your presence here with us today. Father, I pray that you bless us. Bless us with eyes to see. Bless us with ears to hear, Father. Hearts that are flooded with light so we can know you more. Lord, that we feel your heart, that our hearts will be molded and shaped to be more like yours. Give us a spirit of revelation and understanding. God, bless us with hearts that are like good soil, that receive the word and allow it to change us, and that our lives would bring forth fruit 30, 60, 100 times what's been planted, that we would be not just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. We love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So some of you know this about me, that I like to hunt. Ever since I was little, I just enjoy being in the woods. There's something about hunting that is intriguing. It's fun for me, which is interesting because the other people in my family want nothing to do with hunting. I, my dad, hunting would be like torture to him. I've got, I've got an older brother. He doesn't want to do anything in the woods. There's zero desire to spend time when you don't have to unless he's being driven by force into the woods. He's not going into the woods. So whatever that is in somebody, whatever that gene is or that bug is, I got it and nobody else in my family did. So I had an uncle who, who would take me hunting and I've just got a lot of great memories of, of going hunting with him and all those kinds of things. Well, this past summer, one of my, my daughters finally finally got that hunting bug. And whether she really got it or she's just being nice to me and pretending to have it, I don't know. I don't care. She's willing to go hunting, so I'm excited about that. So we started talking about going hunting together. She didn't want to shoot a gun. They're kind of loud and scary, so we decided to get her a crossbow. So we got a crossbow. She started practicing with it. We got a little hunting blind for us to sit together in. Hunting season finally came, and this past fall, we got to spend a lot of time in the woods together hunting. Just sitting there in our little, our little hideout in the woods, waiting for deer to come along, whispering to each other, just spending time. It was great getting up early in the morning while it's still dark. I found myself doing a lot of the things that my uncle did for me when I was little. I was excited to get up and make a, a thermos of coffee to take with us and to get, pack a little, a little lunch and have some snacks and those, and those kinds of things. Getting to take her hunting, kind of teaching somebody else to hunt when deer come, shh, don't, you know, just all the little things, don't make any sudden moves, all of that. It like reignited a love for hunting in my own life. I, I like hunting, but now it's like extra exciting because I'm getting to take somebody with me and teach them, the, teach them how to do it. it. It stirred up fresh passion and excitement for hunting. 
I've shared before the illustration of, of Christmas morning and what that's like for, for most people. That when you are a child, Christmas is the most exciting day of the year. You start counting down the days to Christmas like the day after Christmas, right? You're always conscious of how many days until Christmas because the entire year kind of revolves around that, that, special, that special day. But as you get older, you turn 15, 16, 17, 18, Christmas starts to lose a little bit of the excitement and you want to be excited about it like you used to be, but you're just not, even though, even though you want to be. But then you get married and you have children and something happens. Instead of Christmas being a little bit of a disappointment, not only is it exciting again when you have children, it's even more exciting now than it used to be when you were a kid because you're getting to help somebody else experience it and it reignites joy and passion for Christmas. Being a believer is very similar. The people get saved and it's wonderful. They come to know Jesus. They're forgiven. They're free. They're on their way to heaven. They're excited about serving the Lord. But a lot of people's experience is that they reach kind of a plateau and they, they lose some of the joy. They lose some of the excitement. And one of the main reasons that happens is because they're not doing what they've been instructed to do, not operating the way that God teaches us to operate. But if they will reach out to people, if they'll bring somebody else into a relationship with Jesus, it'll reignite their joy. It'll stir up and rekindle that love for the Lord. It'll remind them of how beautiful it is when somebody repents and turns from their old life and begins to walk with Jesus. People lose their joy in serving the Lord all the time. People backslide all of the time. You know this, right? People will set off on fire for the Lord and things happen. One of the main reasons that people backslide or lose their zeal in serving God is because they don't find any purpose in serving the Lord. You, 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 are, you are called to serve Jesus for more than just filling a chair in a church. There's more to being a Christian than just attending a weekly meeting. There's more to it. This is important. This is part of it, but it's only part of it. You also have a purpose, a role to play. You know on the inside that you desire to make impact. You want your life to matter. You know there's something important that I, I want my life to do something that really matters. You were wired that way, created that way, because God has a role for you to play in his kingdom and bringing people to know him and where people will spend forever and ever and ever. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says that there were good works prepared in advance for you to do. There are things that God had in mind when he created you, things that he wanted you to do. So to serve the Lord, but never engage with your purpose, it, it makes serving the Lord, it's something is missing. Something is off. So people get bored because they don't, they don't latch on to their purpose. And so they don't have the joy of serving him. Let me read you a couple of verses from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Most beautifully named book of the Bible, chapter 10. Starting in verse one, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So Jesus is, is gathered together, not just the 12. Now he's got 70, some translations say 72. He's got a larger group of people and he's getting ready to send them out into different villages, send them out two by twos to minister to people and to tell them about the kingdom. And here he says the same thing that we read last week at the end of Matthew chapter nine. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Guys, guys, please be praying that God, God would send out laborers. So this is something Jesus said on more than one occasion. This is something that was, that was constantly percolating in his heart. Man, look, the people, we need laborers. We need laborers. We need people who are willing to serve. The harvest is so plentiful. The problem is people don't want to serve. This is something that he was saying frequently. This, this, was, this matters to Jesus that people would be willing to serve in the kingdom of God. So he, he sends them out, and then he's giving them instruction in the verses that follow. We'll jump down to verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, he gives them instruction what it's gonna be like, some things that they should do and not do, and then they return. Verse 17, it says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's no mention of when he sends them out that they left with joy. They left in obedience. But when they return, it does let us know that they return from going out and being laborers and telling people the good news about Jesus, that when they return, they're, they're smiling from ear to ear. Their hearts are filled with joy. There, there is joy for people who attach themselves to the harvest. There is a joy that comes when you bring people into newness of life. And that's what's missing in a lot of believers' life. The, the, the joy isn't there. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So it's important. You, you don't want to dry up. You don't want to wear out and get weary and bored with serving the Lord. It's important that you keep yourself full of joy. And one of the ways that we do that is by bringing people into relationship with Jesus, being willing to be sent out. They came back with joy. There is joy in bringing people in the newness of life. I, I watched my wife give birth four times, watched her go through Pain stood by as a, an observer with what looked to be very uncomfortable, something painful to go through. I, I watched her go through that. If you've been in the room when someone's being born, then you're familiar with what this experience is like. It's a, it's a very unique combination of different things. It's, it's beautiful and horrible and wonderful and frightening and disgusting and amazing. I, it's all, it's all right. It's, I'm, I'm being serious. It's all of these things. There's an, in, there's an intensity to it. And so after watching, watching my wife go, go through this every time, the, the pain and all of that, her body being, just being taken to the, to the brink, all of that. Do you know what happened every single time after that baby was born? And I wasn't in the delivery room with any of you, but I, I feel confident assuming the same thing happened. As soon as that baby was born, tears, not tears of regret, not tears because of pain, tears of joy, instantly just tears of joy. I, I, I was crying too, both of us just, just weeping. I could, I could weep right now just remembering those moments, thinking about it, how beautiful it was that some, someone had been born, how amazing, how amazing it was. There is a special joy that comes when you see somebody be born, and there's a spiritual, spiritual parallel that when you see somebody be born, there is a special measure of joy that God releases in you that so many people are lacking, so many 
many people are going without because they haven't been faithful to do the things that God has called us to do, to go out and bring people into relationship with Jesus. So you've got a lot of believers today that are sad, that are depressed, and when they're sad, it means that they're weak and they're vulnerable. Again, the joy of the Lord is our strength because what they were made to do, they're, they're, they're not being fulfilled because they were made to go out and to be harvesters, but they're refusing to do it for a, a long list of different reasons and excuses, and they're missing out on the very thing that they desire because of what they are avoiding or refusing to do. So you've got depressed Christians, weak Christians, sad Christians, unhealthy Christians, because, because when something that's made to grow out refuses to grow out, it causes pain. It's true as believers. It's true with toenails. It's true with hair follicles. It creates a painful, unhealthy situation when something that's made to reach out stays ingrown. It's unhealthy. And you see it in the body, in the body of Christ. That when you and I decided to be followers of Jesus, simultaneously you enlisted yourself as someone that would go after the lost. Whether you realized it or not, it was one in the same call. The, the call to follow Jesus is linked. It's one and the same as a call to be fishers of men. Luke chapter five, when Jesus called Peter and the other fishermen, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It, it wasn't two different levels of following him, right? He didn't say, follow me, follow me if you want to make heaven. And then for those of you that want to go like to tier two, or you want to be like fanatical about this thing, and you just want to be like, you know, extremists, well, then I guess you could like enlist others to follow. It's not, it was one and the same. It, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you didn't want to be fishers of men, then you know what? Just stay in your boat and don't bother following me because it's, it's one in the same call. If you decided to follow Jesus, then Jesus expects that we are fishers of men, that we are our harvesters, that we enlisted our, ourselves. You see that over and over in the Bible. It is consistent. When, when we talk about newness of life, what's linked with it is being somebody that goes after the lost so that they can be found. And when you refuse to do that, you're missing fulfillment. You're missing joy. There's, there's pain when you don't walk. Ever do a three-legged race and get out of sync with the person that you're strapped to? And then have a rope burn all around your ankle or a broken ankle or you know, something else terrible that's happened? because you're linked with that person, you better be going the same direction. The more synced up you can be, the less pain it's gonna cause. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that those who accept Jesus, those who are, are unified with him, we become one spirit with him. You become one spirit. So if Jesus' whole mission and focus is to seek and to save the lost, but my mission is to live a nice, comfortable life, I'm, I'm out of sync. It starts to, to, you feel tension. Something's off. Something's missing. So I don't know what it is, but man, life just doesn't feel quite right because I'm out of sync with the one that I've been united with and he's not going to change his pace to match yours. We've got to sync ourselves up with him. The call to be a follower of Jesus is the call to be a fisher of men. It's what, it's what Paul experienced in Acts chapter nine when Jesus appeared to him on the road. The call to, to change his life, to go from Saul to Paul, to become a great apostle. He evangelized the, the Gentile world and still ministers to us through his letters today. The same, the same call to follow him instead of fighting against him was the call to let me, you're, you're my chosen vessel to carry the good news to the Gentiles. It was one and the same. It wasn't, do you want to be a Christian? And then later on, hey, would, would you also like to like tell people about me? It was, it was the same call. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
There, there is joy bringing people into new life. There's joy getting to participate in people being born. Again, in the natural and in the spiritual. You know, on Sunday mornings, when people get saved, which praise the Lord, we've been seeing a lot of people get saved. We've been seeing a lot of people get saved. That I get the privilege of, of leading in them in a prayer, but we're all, we're all co-workers together. We're all working this together. It's your friends, people you've invited, your, your co-workers, your family members. They've been ministered to from the parking lot team and all through, but I, I get that privilege. I, I can hardly make it through that prayer without tearing up and getting emotional. And it's tears of joy. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And I just get to be a participant in it. You get to do it over and over and over and over again. It doesn't get old. There, there's, there's joy every time you see people come into the Lord and you get to be a, a participator and people being born again. There is, there is joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We love that verse, seeing people come into newness of life, being, being joined to Christ. Verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. All things are of God, who reconciles brings us to him, makes us one with him through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It's talking about salvation, that when you got saved, you were reconciled to God through, through Jesus Christ. That's the salvation experience. But that's not even the end of the sentence. He goes on. And, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. They're, they're joined together. You were reconciled to God. And the moment that was, the moment you became reconciled, you were also given something, given newness of life. But along with that came the ministry of reconciliation. In case we don't understand, he breaks it down even further. Verse 19, that is, he's explaining it for us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That when you and I got saved, God's not looking to hold your sins against you. He's not looking to remind people of their past, rub their noses in every failure and shortcoming they have. God's not looking to do that. He sent Jesus. He's, he's not holding people's sins against them. He just, he just wants to bring people to himself. That's when we got saved. He continues, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know the word of reconciliation has been given to us? He committed it to you. When you got saved, he committed to you the word of reconciliation that we're to be stewards of. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's, that's what God wants to cry out through our lives. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then the, the second verse, that last verse we read is, is a continuation of what we're supposed to let people know. That, that God made Jesus to become sin so that you and I could be right with God, that you and I can become the righteousness of God in Christ. We're declaring the good news. It's good news to let people know you can come to know God. Do you know that God bailed us out, that Jesus became sin? All the trouble, all the mess that we've made of our lives, the way things are going downhill, where life is off, Jesus paid the price. He, paid, he became sin to get us out of the jam that we got ourselves in and to set us free so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Christ. That's what we're supposed to let people know. Not that they're a sinful mess and disgusting and you know how disappointed God is in you. That's not the declaration. It's that we, we're, we're, God is no longer looking to hold sins against people. He's looking to bring you into relationship. He's looking to show you his goodness and Jesus paid the price for us. We're, we're supposed to be ambassadors and all of that is linked together with becoming a new creature. When you become a new creature, you are enlisted as an ambassador. An ambassador is part of the new creation. That's who you are. It's whether you're a faithful ambassador or an unfaithful ambassador. You've been given the word of reconciliation, the ministry. You were enlisted in that. That is your assignment. That's why you're here. You've been given the assignment to tell other people about Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you're, you're enlisted. Amen. Let me read you Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's so much we could pull out of those just couple of verses, rich with meaning, rich with significance. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Think about that. How precious a soul is, how valuable a soul is, that one soul is worth more than the entire world. All of the pleasure, all of the money, all of the belongings, all of the opportunities, the entire world and all that it has to offer doesn't measure up to the value of one soul. The souls are so precious, so incredibly valuable. Your soul, the, the people at work, our family members' souls, more valuable than the entire world. What would it profit a man to get the whole world but then lose his soul? But what I want to focus on for just a minute is what Jesus said in verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A lot of people talk about taking up their cross and then will explain what that means to take up your cross and assign all kinds of different significances to it. That to take up your cross means enduring whatever situation that you're going through. That... Taking up your cross is if you have something bad happen to you, well, you know what? That's just your cross to bear. This is the family I was born into. It's just my cross to bear. You get a bad diagnosis, a sickness. That's just your cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about. A cross is something that you voluntarily pick up and choose to bear. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone's interested in following you, we're still talking about what it means to be a disciple. If anyone wants to be a disciple and you're serious about it, there are requirements. And he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So when Jesus is talking about a cross, it's something you choose voluntarily. It's something that involves death to yourself in order to better serve other people. That's what it means to take up a cross. So when people say, again, they assign their cross all kinds of things. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad, I've got a family. It's just kind of my cross to bear, taking care of these kids. Or I'm a spouse, I've got a husband, I've got a wife. You know, she, she's my cross to bear. He, you know, he's just kind of my, my cross to bear. All, all kinds of different things like that, right? 
No, across, across what Jesus is talking about, when you die to yourself in order to serve someone else. So my children can be my cross to bear if I don't just consider them my cross to bear, but if I want to be a godly father and die to myself to serve them better. My, my wife can be my cross to bear if I don't look at it as just a burden for suffering, but it's where I want, to, I want to die to myself in order to serve her and love her like Christ loves the church and laid himself down for. Now, now that's what we're getting more in line with what Jesus is talking about. You've got to take up your cross and serve and, and follow him. Coming to church, your church attendance is not your cross to bear. I got to go to church. I can't, I can't sleep in. It must be nice to get two, two days to sleep in on the weekend, but I'm a Christian. It's my cross to bear. This isn't your cross to bear. Your cross to bear isn't just coming. It's coming with an ad, a good attitude that I'm going to come and I'm going to serve and I'm going to participate in advancing the kingdom of God. And when I walk out of here, I'm going to keep the word of God and apply it. I'm going to be a doer of the word of God. I'm going to serve him with all of my heart. Now, now we're starting to bear, bear the cross that Jesus is talking about. Specifically, when Jesus talks about bearing a cross, he is a person that knows a thing or two about bearing a cross. Amen? And in his mind, it's the the idea of choosing to die to yourself, to serve other people, specifically to die to yourself so that others have an opportunity to go to heaven. That's what Jesus, it's not just suffering for the sake of suffering. It's not just difficulty for the sake of difficulty. Dying for yourself so you can think of yourself as a martyr or pious. That I say no to me, die to myself in order to give other people an opportunity to know Jesus. That, that's the cross that Jesus is talking about. If you want, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the the requirement is you must die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. A disciple disciples. A disciple involves themselves at the number one priority of their life of making more disciples, of going after the lost, carrying the desires of Jesus. The priorities of heaven become their priorities and Jesus wants to seek and save the lost, to take up our cross if you want to be a follower of Jesus. So one of the reasons, I shared that statistic with you last week, 80% of Christians admit, this is just the ones that admit, admit that they have never led anyone to the Lord. 80% of the church has never led one single person into a relationship with Jesus. It's because we're selfish. It's because we're unwilling to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. We can claim it's for all kinds of, I don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. I don't want to make this situation awkward. You claim that it's your concern for them, but really it's your concern for you. If you're worried about not making them uncomfortable, think about an eternity in a lake of fire. When you're, instead of a, a, a conversation that could go either way. We've got to die to ourselves, be willing to take those steps. That's what it means to carry your cross. Stop being selfish. Start laying your life down to give other people an opportunity to know Jesus. I, I was reading earlier this week about missionaries in the 1800s and what they had to go through in, just in order to be a missionary, specifically the ones that were going to Africa in the 1800s. First of all, it wasn't just hopping on a plane and sitting in first class and arriving a few hours later. Just, just getting where you felt called to go, you were, you were risking a lot. But the people that were going to Africa so they could tell people about Jesus, the death rate was high. The success rate was low, but there were still people that were willing, willing to go. This is what one of them said. He said, we should have considered it shameful to the name of Christ to close our hearts and ears to the misery and the outcries for help of these poor souls in Africa, just because we shied away from the dangers of death. 
Neither does the European slave trader shy away from the perils of life-consuming climate when he roams the same shores day and night like a predator. We would have considered it a shame to the name of Christ for us to refuse to go just because there's a pretty good chance we're going to die. He talks about it like it's nothing. Especially at that point in time, they had slave traders going to Africa. He said, these people are roaming the same shore. They're willing to do it so they can cash in just to make a buck. If they're doing it for money, how much more so should believers be willing to do it to go after souls? Think about what people are willing to do for pleasure, for profit, for all kinds of things that believers should be more passionate about taking risks, creating whatever situation necessary to go after the soul of men to represent their king, to advance the kingdom of God. It's got to be the number one priority in the life of a, of a believer. If slave traders were willing to risk all that they had to enslave someone else so they could make some money, we should be willing to do whatever necessary to go after the lost. Don't, don't let yourself off the hook. It's about, it's about not making things weird at work, not making things awkward, not create, I don't want to offend anybody. More often than not, the person you're willing about making un- uncomfortable is you and not the other person. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, But even if you suffer for doing what's right, even if you do suffer, even if a bad situation does come about, God will reward you for it. God, God's going to take good care of you. you be faithful to represent him. He's going to take good care of you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Listen to this, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to give an answer, some translations say. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. I wanna take just a couple of minutes and talk about some practical ways that we, we can put this into use. So we talked last week, it's the number one priority of heaven. For a disciple, it should be our number one priority to see people come to know Jesus. And this passage tells us you need to be ready. Some people don't win people to the Lord because it's it's an afterthought. It's the last thing on their mind. Instead of being on the top of their mind, looking for opportunities, be ready. You've got to be ready, prepared, have things thought through, ready to go. You know, one of the ways that we keep ourselves ready is by keeping your walk with the Lord intimate and fresh and keep yourself in love with Jesus. You keep yourself full of the Holy Spirit, in love with the Lord. Your life is bearing fruit, love, hope, peace, joy. Your life is fruitful. You're walking in holiness. So your character is part of your testimony. Would anyone even have grounds to ask about the hope if you're not displaying hope and joy and peace? Would they they even consult you when they're interested in in those kinds of things? There should be something different about us. You shouldn't be the biggest sourpuss in the office. You shouldn't be the guy with the foulest mouth on on the work site or the biggest jerk or the person that's so hard to work. Whatever your role is in the neighborhood, in your family, at at work, whatever it is. The person that the waitress is always, oh man, I get stuck with this guy that doesn't tip and is always rude to me. We should have something about our lives. We're carrying the sweetness of the presence of God. He's talking about people asking you, asking you, what, 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 what is it about you? We should be different. We live in a time where it should be easier than ever to stand out. All the crazy stuff going on in the world today, that people would ask, well, why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you worried? Why aren't you anxious? Why aren't you afraid of the coronavirus? Everyone else is freaking out, wearing 15 masks. How come you aren't? What's different about you? Well, 
I'll tell you why I'm not afraid. Why aren't you afraid of what's going on in Europe? Why aren't you afraid of the Russians or whatever thing is coming next? Because there will, there will be something next that everyone gets worked up about. We, we've got to be ready, ready to give an answer of why we're not being affected the way that everyone else is. I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I'm not worried about it. I, I know this whole thing's temporary. And I'm living for eternity. You ever give any thought to where you're going to end up in eternity when this is all, when this is all over? Just, you've got to put it in your own words, but think through how you're going to respond. Living a life. So one, one aspect of being ready is keeping your, keeping your walk with the Lord fresh and real and in love with Jesus. Keeping yourself full of the Holy Spirit. Be, be ready. Another way we can be ready when you, when you ask people how they're doing, I'm always amazed at how quick people are to share with you every bad thing that's going on in their life. Hey, how's it going? Just waiting in line next to somebody. Hey, my wife just left me. Oh, okay. I mean, you can get, have you ever had that experience? I mean, people will start to just tell you all kinds of things. It might not be that extreme. It might be, well, my alley, my, my sinuses are so infected. I mean, just like, I, you, you weren't really asking. Yeah, but they're, they're telling you anyway. Those are opportunities, Right. How are you doing? I mean, I'm so stressed right now. How are you? Not stressed. I'd love for you to have my peace. I'd love for you to have the same joy. I'm just looking for opportunities, right? I'd love for you to have what, what I, again, you've got to put it in your own words, but how will you respond? You've got to be ready for those opportunities to sow seeds, to bring people into the kingdom of God. Another way we can, we can be evangelistic is, is cultivating friendships, cultivate relationships. Be strategic, build, build relationships with people. I heard somebody say that you should find the 1% with people that you agree on, the 1% you have in common, and give it 100% of your focus. Give that 100% of your effort. Find reasons to connect with people and begin to build relationship. Too often in the church, we find the 1% that we disagree with and we make that the focus of conversations, trying to get people in 100% alignment with us. Don't, don't worry about that. Just try to build, a, build common ground. We want, we want to bring them ultimately into the kingdom of God. Build relationship. Use relationship evangelism. Who are the people that you're around anyway? Instead of just keeping your nose down at work, what, what, can, you, what can you have in common? Oh, you like to garden? My, 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 I had an aunt that had a great big garden. I, I mean, find something. Find some way to connect. Sports, hobbies. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, you, you don't like Trump, huh? Well, let me tell you. I mean, don't, don't look for reasons to divide, your, divide yourself from them. Build, build common ground. And I know some people think that that's, that's shallow. Oh, just, just building relationship with people so that you can, you can bring them into the kingdom of God? Isn't that kind of an artificial relationship? I don't know. What, what are the reasons you build relationships otherwise? Why else do you build relationships with people? So you can have somebody to shop with? Why else do you, you cultivate relationships? So you can have a buddy to watch football with? Having a concern for their soul, that, that's the artificial reason? That's the shallow reason to build a relationship? To me, it seems like maybe the most pure, beautiful reason that you care about their soul. I care where you spend eternity. So I'm building this whole thing about your aunt's garden or whatever it happens to be. I don't really care about that. I care about you. And so that's why I'm building a bridge here to build connection. Yes, my goal is to bring you into the kingdom of God, but trust me, if I succeed, you will thank me. You'll thank me. It's not an artificial or shallow reason to try to connect with people. It is the deepest, most meaningful reason to build relationship. Use the relationships 
Use your ability. Find reasons and ways to connect with people. But you've got to be ready. You've got to think it through. Have a strategy. Pay attention to what those people are into, what they like to talk about, how they spend their time. Where, where can you find an angle to work to begin to build relationship? Use relationship, relationship evangelism. Tell people your testimony. Talk about how good God is. Again, we're talking about strategies. Look for opportunities to, to, to share your testimony. It, it might be how you came to know Jesus, but that's not the only testimony you have. Every time God does something in your life, make that a testimony, right? You should be sharing testimonies all the time. Can I just tell you how good God is? Let me tell you what happened with my kids the other day. Now, I've got this friend from church. I'm just so blessed with great friends. Those are, all, those are testimonies. It's the goodness of God that you're encountering, that you're experiencing. Talk about it. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. So talk about how good, how good God is. Express it to people. Share your testimonies. Another way, we talked about this some last week, find ways to serve people. Find ways to serve. I had someone this past week come and ask me. They said, I've got someone in my life who knows where I stand. They know I'm a Christian. They know I'm always trying to get them into church. They want nothing to do with it. If I'm around them, they say, yeah, yeah, I know what you, I know what you want. And this person, they said, they're, they're going off the deep end. They're involved in all kinds of other things. They, they need Jesus. But they, they, they've already heard it all. They know that that's what, what I want, want them to do. What, what should I do? Said, so find ways to serve them. Find, they already know where you, you stand. That your interaction with them isn't just an attempt to get them to church. Just find ways to serve. Find ways to express the love of God. We, we talked about that last week. People aren't just problems to be fixed. They're not issues to be dealt with. We've got to see them as valuable and that we would serve them. And when you begin to serve people and show that they have value, the person's going to start to want to be around. People don't say no to love. People don't say no when they actually begin to taste the goodness of, of God. F find ways. I don't know what it is in that situation or situations you're facing. Maybe it's being the, the volunteer babysitter for their kids. Maybe it's providing meals. Do something to be able to add value to them in some way. Find ways to serve them. When they are, you've already been down the road, they've already said, listen, I don't want to go to church. It's not going to happen. Just begin to be a blessing to them and they'll start drawing closer to you just because that's the sweetest spot for them to be, to experience the goodness of God through your life. Serve them. Another way we can evangelize is invite people to come with you to church. You see it happen in the Bible all the time. Read through John chapter one, John chapter four. When people invite someone else, come, come and see a man who, who told me everything I ever did. Where you invite people to a place where they're gonna have an opportunity to accept Jesus. That, that, that's, that's evangelism. Invite people to church. F find ways to strategize about getting them here because you know they're gonna have an opportunity to accept Jesus. When they come, serve as a host. Don't just get them in the door and say, all right, You've done your job. Thank God you got them here. You're doing well. Stay with them. Help them get ingrained in the body of Christ. If they respond to the altar call, come with them. Go to the newcomers class. Go, go to the new believers class with them. Escort them through. Help them get plugged into the body of, of Christ. Just continue to serve them and, and build that relationship. Keep that relationship. So, so inviting as a form of evangelism. But we, we need to be careful when we're telling people about Jesus that we are emphasizing the goodness of God, the kindness of God. Again, Romans 2, 4, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. So when you're concerned about, I don't know what I would say, I'm not sure, you know, if I did tell somebody uh, about Jesus, what that would look like, tell them about how good he is. T 
Tell them about the reality of how God loves us so much. He sent Jesus to pay the price to bail us out of our, our problems, to bail us out of a, a, an eternity separated from God. Just talk about the goodness, the goodness of God. Don't be worried about condemning people and pointing out their flaws and how desperately they need Jesus. You know you're a disgusting sinner on the highway to hell. You, you can avoid all that and talk about the goodness of God. Listen to what it says in, Rome, in I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, now it came to pass afterward, word, that he went, talking about Jesus, he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. I figure Jesus is probably a pretty good model. And what do we say to people? It says that Jesus went around, he was preaching. What was he preaching? He was telling people the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the good news, the glad tidings, how much God loves us, how much God wants relationship with us, how God wants to set us free, how God wants us to be filled with joy and hope and peace. People, people will resist when we're heavy-handed. You, you, don't, you don't resist love when you know that it's genuine. You don't resist when people genuinely care for you. The gospel, the gospel is good news, not condemnation, not heavy-handedness, not religious proclamations. It's good news, amen? Here's where I want to take things as we close. I'm very thankful for everything that God has done in our church. God has taken us so far. He's been so good to us. He's done some things that five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would have thought it could, it could never happen. It would be impossible. He's turned situations around. God's been good to us. I'm so thankful for where we are right now. But I'm also not content. I'm not content where we are. I'm thankful. Believe me, I'm thankful. But I'm not content because I know that there's more. I know that there's deeper. I know that, there, I know that there's further. I, I'm hungry for a move of God, a genuine, a real move of God, the Spirit of God having His way. I'm thankful for this. This is, this is good. But how many know that there's, there's more than this? A real move of, a real move of God where a, a, a region is shaken by the power of God, shaken by the presence of God. We've got to have a hunger, a desire, not be content in a way that causes us to stagnate with just because we've experienced some of the goodness of God. It should make us hungry for more. I want more of what God has for us. I want a move of God. I desire a move of God. And here's what I know, a precursor throughout history in the word of God, a precursor to revival, a precursor to moves of God is repentance. What comes, what comes before the spirit of God moving sweeping through a church, sweeping through a community. Repentance. You read revivals through church history. Repentance. It's one of the main precursors. On the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls, Peter preaches, people respond, what, what must we do? What do we need to do? Tell us. We're, we're ready to respond. Repent. Repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what prepared the way for the Spirit of God to move in these people's lives? Repentance. Even in the life of Jesus, 
a desire to, to be in line with the heart of God. I want what's right. I want to do what's pleasing to God. What God wants, that's what I want. You see it in the life of Jesus when he was baptized by John the Baptist. You know the story. He comes to John the Baptist to be baptized and John the Baptist says, you sure about this? It seems like maybe you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be the one. He says, no, no, it's, it's necessary for the fulfillment of righteousness. Obviously, Jesus didn't have sin to repent from. But he said, no, I want to make sure I'm keeping in line with what God wants. If God wants it, I, I'm going to do what is most pleasing to him. That, that was his heart and his attitude. So he's baptized. What happens immediately after he does what he said was necessary for the fulfillment of righteousness? The Spirit of God descends on him in bodily form. God begins to speak in such an audible, clear way. That sounds like revival. God speaking, the Spirit moving. What came before it? Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Repentance. Repentance is, a, is a, a precursor, a hunger for righteousness. It's a precursor to revival. Now, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, you've got to figure it was important. Last words matter. What people say right before they, they leave the scene, right before I leave my kids home alone, I'm saying something, hey, be, you guys be nice to each other. Don't be mean, be good. Right? I'm saying, I'm giving like all the last instructions of what really matters to me. Don't break my stuff. Right? The stuff that's really important before I go. Last words, last words matter. Of all the things Jesus could have said right before he ascends and returns to the Father, he didn't say, he didn't say, all right, guys, one last thing, no abortions. No abortions. That's important. We know that breaks the heart of God. That's not what he chose to say. He didn't say don't murder people. He didn't say no sleeping around. One last thing, no sleeping around. He didn't say don't look at porn, don't do drugs. That's all sin, right? Those are all valid things he could have said. It would have been important. But of all the instructions he gave, he said, go and evangelize. Go and make disciples. Here's your last, the last command, the last instruction. And that instruction is maybe the most disobeyed instruction in the church. Now, if we were all caught up in those other things, we would see the need for repentance. Man, we're all, we're all addicted to drugs. We're all a bunch of perverts or whatever. We would know, obviously, we need to, we need to repent of those things. But we, we've dulled ourselves to thinking, disobeying what Jesus, the last thing Jesus told us to do, one of the most important instructions he ever gave, that we can walk in disobedience to that and it not matter. A precursor to a move of God is repentance. And here in just a couple of moments, I want to take some time this morning to repent, to repent as individuals to repent as a church. Say, Father, where I've made my life what I desire, my number one priority, that seeking and saving the lost, your kingdom has come number two, number 10, number 20. Maybe it's not even on the list at all. God, I repent. I realize today I've been missing it. My whole life is out of alignment. My whole life is out of joint because I don't have the first things first. God, that I'm not going after the lost. I've failed to go and make disciples, that we would repent. If we want to honor God, if you want to honor anybody, one of the things that you do is you bring them something that they like. A, a while back, one time, some people slipped into my office, wrote a note, and laid out a spread, a big platter of pickles in my office. They, they did it as a joke, being funny. They were pretending to do something nice, but they knew that I didn't, it was funny. They know I didn't like them. But if you want to honor somebody, you bring them something they like, not something they dislike. 
You bring up something that, that, they, that they like. If you really want to honor someone, you find out what is most precious to them. You find out what means the most to them. And if you can do it, you bring that to them to, to really honor someone. Well, we know that souls are what matters to God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, that it brings our Father glory when we bear fruit. It brings our Father glory when we bear fruit. Now, we talked about it earlier. Being a disciple automatically enlists us to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. John, later in that same chapter, John 15, 16, Jesus said, you, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I chose you that you would bear, that you would bear fruit, bear much fruit, and that your fruit would remain. That's, that's that the assignment. Again, it goes hand in hand. The, the call to be a follower of Jesus, the call to bear fruit. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.